Welcome to the Ditching Perfection podcast, a podcast that will help you pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. I'm your host, Carly Bartlett, and along the way, we're going to have some raw conversations and share some practical tips that will remind you to throw some confetti and celebrate yourself. Your inner critic does not have to be the dominant voice in your life anymore. I'm so glad that you're here today as we're going to be talking about ditching expectations and learning to ask for help. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm someone who has a certain plan. I want it to happen the way that I want it to happen. And if it doesn't, it kind of messes me up. I get so fixated on things going the way that I want them to go that because of that, then sometimes I'm not able to be fully present in the here and now, because I just have this really big idea of how I want things to go. And then also we're today, we're going to be talking about that problem and the issue that we oftentimes don't like to ask for help. And I was thinking about this with my kids recently, that kids are so quick to ask for help, but somehow some way along the way, we then decide that asking for help is a sign of weakness, but really we are invited to ask for help. We aren't supposed to be doing this whole thing alone. And we are, we are then like compelled by God to have that childlike attribute of asking for help and just throwing up our hands and saying, I can't do this by myself. And so our guest today is really going to help us dive into these two particular areas as she opens up her story and her life to us and with us today. So my friend Ashley Summers is here on the podcast and she is really going to help us learn to get vulnerable, to lean into community, ask for help and not get so busy in the hustle and bustle of trying to force our hopes into reality. But she's really here to help us be reminded to live open-handed so that we can really embrace all that God has for us in the here and now. Ashley is a friend of mine from college. She was a couple years older than me in school. And I always looked up to her as a woman with great integrity. She had such a warmth and a kindness about her. She was a relational bridge builder and an incredible hard worker. And it has been so fun for me to track with her in in our adult lives and to see what God has been doing in her life. She's had a very successful career in the business world. She's worked for three large global companies, Walmart, Campbell Soup, and now she currently works for Unilever. And she's married to her husband, Chad, who has a doctorate in musical arts and is a professional opera singer. How cool is that? And then he also is a professor, professor, excuse me, of applied voice. And together they have two children, a son and a daughter. And their son was born with a rare genetic disorder, which she'll talk about in the podcast. And only about 2,800 people in the world have this particular disorder. And so she has just talked about this being such a gift in their life and their sweet boy being a gift because as she, I'm going to share a quote with you because it's so, so beautiful. This is a quote from Ashley. She says, he has opened our eyes to an entire world of beautiful people with disabilities and the caregivers that help them thrive. We will spend our whole lives seeing, loving, and caring for our son in this special community of people. And you will see, my friends, as we dive into this podcast, you will see her heart for, for her family and for the, for 
of, of the larger community that she lives in and for her workplace. And you'll just see this amazing heart and how she has eyes to see the God-given value and significance in each and every person. But before we dive in, you guys, I just have to tell you, we just got back, our family, from a trip to Disneyland in Universal Studios in California. And we surprised our kids, you guys. I packed their bags. Mike and I got everything ready before we went. And we had a like 6 a.m. flight. So we woke up our kids at like 4. And, you know, Junie, she's two. So she's kind of just like, woohoo, along for the ride, whatever, doesn't really know exactly what's going on. But Lulu, who's seven, this was like the most epic surprise. We woke her up at four. And of course she's like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to wake up. She thought she was waking up for school. And we were like, hey, we actually have a plane to catch this morning. She's like, what? We're going to Disneyland and Universal Studios right now. We leave in 20 minutes. Your bags are packed. Let's go. Oh my goodness, you guys. I will never forget how excited she was. Her face lit up. She was like, are you serious? Are you serious? Like she was, oh my goodness. She couldn't believe it. Oh, it was so amazing. And yes, we hopped on that flight. We had the best time on our trip. It was so magical, so much fun. And Lulu was tall enough this time to go on most of the bigger rides like Space Mountain and Rise of the Resistance, the Star Wars ride, which is amazing. I had never been on that. And we just had such a great time. And little sweet Junie loved seeing the characters and waving at them in the parade. Oh, it was the best. We're so tired. We just got back a couple of days ago and I'm still recovering, but I'll tell you what, it was amazing. And I, I mean, the time in the park and everything was so fun, but truly the surprise that we pulled off that morning was the memory that I will never forget. It was epic. <laughs> so anyhow, with all of that said, I am excited for us to dive into this conversation today with my friend, Ashley Summers. So let's lean in and listen to what she has to share with us today. Well, hi, Ashley. Welcome to the Ditching Perfection podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Carly. Thanks for having me today. Yes, I'm so excited for all of our friends online to hear from you. You have had an amazing journey, and I only know little bits and pieces of it, but we went to college together, and I don't know if I ever even told you this, but you know, you were a couple years older than me. You were this amazing cool, determined, hardworking girl that made it such a difference on our campus. And you were like one of those girls. I was like, okay, I want to be like her. So That's it's really just, sweet. well, thanks. I mean, it's just, I just appreciate who you are and you've just always been such a woman of character and relational, hardworking, like I said. And so it's just really fun to reconnect after all these years. And uh, I've been able to see a little bit of your journey here and there, thanks to the world of social media. Yeah. Uh, but we, for, see that we have all these things in common. Yes. Like, like, yeah. Exactly. I loved that recently we were like reading the same books mm -hmm. and it's super fun. Yes. So I was like, okay, this is so perfect. I'm well, we're trying to ditch perfection obviously, yeah. but it's like, what is another word? Just a great orchestration. And I was like, okay, this is too good. We've got to get Ashley on the podcast. So thanks for being here. Yeah, but for all of our friends that uh, are listening and that don't know you, will you just quickly introduce yourself and, and we'll, then we'll dive in? Yeah, perfect. Uh, so my name is Ashley Summers and I am a native Californian and 
also grew up in a Nazarene church, which is how I ended up at um, the same university as Carly. And um, I now live back in California, but I've kind of lived all over the country and God's led me through, you know, a very interesting journey in my career. Um, I work in business and I was very thankful to meet the right person and get married to my husband, Chad, eight years ago. And we have a son, Barrington, who is seven years old and my daughter, Magnolia, who's four and a half. So I spend my days caring for them and yeah. um, love being back in California. My brother's family lives there as well. And some of my childhood best friends and, um, you know, spend my days at work, but then really passionate about Christ and loving people, both in the professional setting as well as in my personal life. So outside of work, I try to just offer tons of love and hospitality to the friends and family around me. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so good. So tell us being in the corporate world and, and business, tell us what your journey has been like, where you've worked. I know, but I want everyone else to hear a little bit of your, of your story vocationally. Yeah. So I, I actually got a chance to work for some pretty large, amazing companies. And that was thanks to this organization I was a part of in college called Enactus. Um, and that organization was really about teaching college students to use their head for business and use that in a way where we could share our heart with the world. So yeah. teaching people like the skills of entrepreneurship and how to kind of give back those, those business skills. So things like business ethics and um, teaching them about finances and things like that to really make a better lives for life for themselves. Yeah. So I attended these competitions in college and um, had a chance to present and a lot of uh, large retail and consumer products companies recruit there for future talent. So I had the privilege of working for um, the Walmart organization. That was our, my first company that I worked for out of college. And then later Campbell Soup. Um, and now I work at Unilever, which is a, another large global consumer products company. Yeah. Um, we have a few fellow friends that work there as well. Alumni from NNU that have done very well there. Yeah. And I made a very brief stint in my career trajectory to work at my church, which was a very, you know, a big change kind of seemed to come from left field, but had a chance to use those business skills that I had learned along the way to serve as the director of operations, um, communications. And then I also oversaw our family ministry. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like for you to step away from the business realm and make a decision to serve in the church world. And it probably, it was probably a decision that a lot of people in the corporate world may not have understood. So what was it yeah. like to, to have that big change? Yeah, I think the great thing is whenever people see you doing something you're passionate about, um, usually that, you know, garners a lot of support, which is great. And at the time I was going through a personal life change where I had just gotten engaged to my husband and we've been a part of our church in Philadelphia. That's where we met. Um, it was called Liberty Church at the time and now has a new name, but um, some of my best friends were the pastors and staff of that church, and I had just seen God work in incredible ways in, in that church. We'd grown to a second campus, and they were really at a place where they're like, okay, we have this small church plant, and now, you know, we probably have 500 members and 80 volunteers, and we need someone with like a business um, mind and really good at administration to help us get organized and be really good communicators to our con congregation. Um, so they encouraged me to think about it and 
Um, you know, realistically, it was probably like a 50% pay cut and something that I just had always been on my heart was to use those gifts and talents that God gave me um, for his kingdom. And so I certainly think that can happen in the corporate world. Um, it doesn't mean your job has to necessarily be a vocational ministry, but I think um, it's also a gift to offer those skills within the church. So yeah. I, I made that jump and learned a lot along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. So then what led you to make the decision to jump back into the business world? Yeah. So during that time um, at my church, certainly wearing a lot of hats, but helped the church create a new website and, you know, new worship folders and ways to communicate with the congregation. Um, there was always kids being born. So helped create many more classes and curriculum and things like that. So I think we accomplished a lot of great things for God's kingdom, but certainly it gave me a, a big respect for pastors and, um, you know, you might have a senior leader within the church that's your boss, but a lot of people within the church, you know, have, have different opinions and thoughts about way things, ways things should be done. And right. it can be challenging sometimes to feel like, you know, especially if you are maybe coming from a place of perfectionism, you feel like you're pleasing everyone or really honoring right. everyone well. Um, so actually it was uh, due to just like a family transition. My husband got accepted into the University of Rochester, Eastman School of Music, uh, to go get his doctorate there. And we had already had my son Barrington, who was born um, with special needs. He, we didn't know at the time, it was a many year process of kind of unveiling what was going on with him, but we knew he had developmental delays. Um, and so he was needing kind of early intervention therapies. And so it was really stressful trying to work full time and yeah. uh, feed him. And my husband actually had to quit his job to kind of take care of him full time because um, he needed some more kind of like nurse type care. And it's pretty challenging to say like, hey, my son's on oxygen. Can you as a nanny or babysitter take care of him? Yeah. Wow. Because of his needs, there was just a lot going on in our lives. And we felt like it was probably the right time for my husband to go back to school. Um, instead of pursuing like a full-time opera singing performing career and um, that transitioned us back to Rochester and so realistically my whole resume was built on um, this experience working for a large retailer Walmart I worked at Campbell Soup for six years um, and so even though I was trying to figure out like you know with these skills I've learned I've got to work for a nonprofit. I've worked for these for-profit companies um, what's next? Like, is that in the area of university advancement or is it for another nonprofit? Like, God, where are you leading me? But the reality is all my experience was in consumer products. And so we probably, it was my first time where I probably sent out, you know, applied for 30 to 40 jobs. Wow. Um, it's a smaller market up there in Rochester. You know, it's not a super large city. And ultimately just found the right connection doing something similar to what I'd done before. Okay. at Unilever. Um, but I really enjoyed the company probably more than anywhere else I'd worked just in terms of the culture. They really are a company that tries to use their scale and size for good, wanting to make sure that they care for people all across the supply chain. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of purpose in our work and um, have a lot of fun doing it and get to sell some of the favorite brands that are in everyone's household. So yeah, it, was, that's awesome. it was a great fit for my family and yeah. gave me the ability to kind of work 40 hours a week 
at a church, you often have very odd hours working maybe yeah. at night or weekends, and it can be tricky to balance with your family life. Right, right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, consumer products that we all have in our houses. And I remember uh, recently I put a little plug on Instagram for my favorite deodorant and you were like, that's my company. So that was kind of fun, but truly I'm sure there's just so many things that we use all the time that, that are connected to where you work. Yep. We enjoyed some Ben and Jerry's last night, which is uh, the company I work for and Dove Soap and a whole host of brands. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So you mentioned your son and then Mm -hmm. you have a daughter as well. Um, and what has it been like for you? What has God taught you as you have parented your precious kids and, you know, and really how, how have you seen God's heart as you then have, have just been able to love on your kids in the unique ways that they both need it? Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, even when I was pregnant, we found out that he might have some different health challenges or physical development challenges. And so, it's been a journey where a, a lot was, you know, it's just like slowly revealed to us. And I think that was God's grace to us where it wasn't all thrown at us at once. We were like, how right. are we going to deal with this? And so there's yeah. many tears along the way of just like yeah. when he was first born, he was in the hospital for, um, I think three weeks on oxygen. And then he went home on oxygen and you're like, how am I going to do this? Keep this kid alive. Like mm-hmm. only by the grace of God, um, will this happen? And so tons of medical appointments, which was very scary. Um, just learning to take care of a newborn in the first place is very intimidating for first time parents. How do you feed them? And what do they need to go to sleep? And he certainly cried a lot, which is probably colic or something, had a lot of trouble eating. And so it probably took him an hour per bottle to, um, and if you have to do that eight times a day, it's like around the clock. And I was trying to pump and manage work and all those things. And you know, I think a great example of ditching what I thought was perfection, because I wanted to be the mom that had a natural childbirth and breastfed my kids and yeah. did all these things that I thought were right and good and perfect. And my sister was the one to just be the voice of reason of like, you're driving yourself crazy. You can't spend any time with your kid because you're spending so much time pumping and giving him bottles. Mm-hmm. And it was very hand to mouth. I didn't have a lot extra. and um, she just helped me to realize like God created formula for a reason to help yeah. kids that, you know, can't do this. And, um, I think that was a great example of like, how do you accept something and let go of an expectation or an ideal that you have in your mind and be able to just be more present and love the people in your life. Yeah. Um, so that was like the early part of his journey. And then over the next few years, we started to work with therapists to um, work on speech therapy, um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and kind of like play therapy. Mm-hmm. And when we eventually moved back to California, his teacher recommended, like, I think there's something underlying kind of all these developmental delays he has. And I'd encourage you to do genetic testing. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think when he was born, we just didn't have the capacity. It was like so tiring to go to all these appointments. Right. Uncertainties. And we just thought, we don't, you know, is it going to change anything? He still needs therapy and support, but we thought, okay, maybe we should finally do it. And sure enough, as soon as they did a genetic test, they knew exactly what it was. And it was called, um, his disorder is called Phelan McDermott syndrome. There's only about 2,800 people in the whole world that have this genetic disorder. So it's a really, 
And um, that helped us. We finally saw like, you know, the doctor sent us a picture of a person on a page and kind of what the challenges or differences would be in that person. And we're like, wow, there's, there's my son. Like it, it's finally all coming together. Um, and a lot of things that just to help people be aware would be things like a lot of the kids do have a lot of physical challenges, especially with things like seizures. Um, they're typically nonverbal, often have like a co-diagnosis with autism. And that's probably the easiest way where people would be able to understand um, kind of some of the challenges they have. And then also like sensory regulation. So meaning if, you know, he gets very excited or gets very sad, it's very hard for his body to regulate his emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was um, a really pivotal day. I mean, cried many tears, like, yeah. oh my goodness, you know, maybe if you had a hope for he's going to talk someday or be like a typical kid. I think that was kind of more showing his life will be dramatically changed by this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until a couple of years later, we did get an autism diagnosis as well. And that's now giving him just more supports he needs in the school system and with behavior therapy and things like that. Um, but like you said, I think it's something that God has used in a drastic way to shape our lives. And maybe those like hopes and dreams and ideas of what you have for your kids um, when you're a first time parent, it's just changed that so much. Like we just really see the purpose of his life to bring God honor and joy and worship him. And it, we have really no dreams for like college or what type of career he's going to have or how successful he'll be in sports or, and that doesn't mean we don't think he can do great things, but it's more like, what does he need right now as a seven-year-old and right. how can we encourage him to thrive now? And that's things yeah. like doing things he loves, listening to music, playing ukulele, mm -hmm. puzzles, like helping him adapt into his Sunday school class with his typical peers. So mm -hmm. it's just really changed like what success looks like right. um, in our family and it's opened our eyes to this beautiful group of people who are often overlooked and mm -hmm. Um, just really gives us a heart for everyone we see. Chad and I will always like look over at each other and say like, did you see that friend over there? That's our like code name for another kid that might have similar um, differences. And it just fills our heart with so much love. And we do our best to not like immediately run up to a stranger and give them a hug and just tell them how valued and loved they are in God's eyes. Um, but it's also helped us think about like how to give care to those families too. Because it's yeah. It's very demanding. It's very, it just is more challenging than raising a typically developing kid. Um, my daughter certainly still has her own challenges and strengths, but um, it's just a different level of like kind of pressure for the parents. So it, we right. just wanted to think about what does God have for the future too? And how do we support those families really well that mm -hmm. um, just are extra taxed? Right. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, if there's someone listening that may be in a similar situation that you're in, or maybe it's a new diagnosis, like what would you say to a young parent that is in a similar situation? Uh, what, what advice or encouragement would you have for them? Yeah, I would say a few things. Um, one, again, just being focused on where they are right now. So yeah. trying not to think, 20 years down the road, what's going to happen when I pass away or what, 
is their adulthood going to look like? But like, really, what do they need right now? I think Christ wants us to be very present um, and not worry about tomorrow. And that certainly applies to parenting a kid with special needs. Yeah. Um, I think certainly doctors and therapists are all there to support you. Like we have a very big team at school, very big team at home, big doctor community. And those people are all trained and very much, you know, dedicated with us to his success. Yeah. And then I think the great thing about, um, you know, social media, while it has its challenges, it can also bring people together. So for example, if you, with this rare disorder, 2,800 people in the whole world, how would you naturally find someone outside of like a parent support group? And so that's been something I think early on just to help us recognize maybe what some of the other families were dealing with. And now we don't lean so heavily on that. We focus more on our kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think certainly the first time, thankfully my son's only had one seizure so far, but when that happened immediately, we could go to that group and say, this mm-hmm. is what just happened. What would you recommend? you know, to make sure that we're getting the best care. Cause sometimes doctors don't know, especially with a rare uh, genetic disorder. So I think reaching out to community um, that understands that specific diagnosis, but then also just your natural community, like your friends, your family, that's been a huge support for us because they accept him completely. Like when we have a birthday party, it's all my best friends and their families, right? So they may naturally have a hard time making his own friends. But I think if you just have a group of people that are like really committed to your family and to Christ, um, they're going to provide that love and support like along the way. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. We oftentimes, I think sometimes with perfectionism and, uh, feeling like we have to have it all together. Sometimes we close off and we isolate, but yet your story and your journey is such a reminder of the gift of community and how oftentimes we experience the love and the grace of God through one another Uh, and feeling like we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and figure it all out. We're actually robbing our community then of getting to be the hands and feet of Jesus as well. So I, I just love that. Yeah. And I totally think Carly, it's made us, um, because we've been people so in need of prayer and intervention and support. Um, it's, it's like crumbled anything, any of our desire to seem like we have it all together and we don't need help. Like I think sometimes there's so much pride in us where we want to be able to figure it out ourselves. And Mm -hmm. in reality, we've had to be very transparent and open, um, that we don't. And so I think that's just really shaped us to be people that can receive grace and the gifts of God through other people. And it's helped us to also want to offer that to others. That's so good. Yeah. So was that hard for you at first to, to begin asking for help and naming your needs? Was that challenging? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, my husband's pretty open and he's always been someone that's like reached out to his friends and family for prayer. Um, he grew up in a family where his brother struggled with alcoholism from a very young age. And so with alongside his parents, that really shaped his faith where he got to be somebody that learned about praying and fasting and reading scripture very early on because they were so desperate for God's need, um, or God's care, I I would say. And so I think that he helped me to really not be that way because he said like, so many times, maybe even financially, he didn't know where his rent was coming from as a musician, right? Mm-hmm. So he just saw that God's like intervention and care through community um, so often. And I think he really modeled that well for me. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. So then balancing parenting and family life and then 
being in a 40 hour work week uh, in, in the business world, what is that like for you? And how have you had to ditch perfection and throw it out so that you can be more whole rather than trying to have it all together? Like we talked about. Yeah, I think definitely once I had a family and I do want to encourage people listening that, you know, might not be married or have kids. I think it's so important to have balance no matter who we are. Cause I think yeah. it's easy to say like, well, once you have kids, you have a reason to not work all the time or a reason, you know, like you have something that people are going to appreciate as like a valid reason why you can't be at work all the time. But really in reality, like even if you're 22, you need space for friendship or community to serve in your church, to do things that give you life and fill you up. And so I think in those early years of my work life, my dad would say like, why are you awake so late? Or why are you working so long? And, you know, that idea of perfectionism or just striving to like, I have to get this deadline done instead of just communicating to someone, Hey, this deadline might not be realistic. Can I get this to you in two days or something Mm -hmm. like that? Um, I think I wasn't as open to doing that. And we're now I have to be done at a certain time, you know? So I typically try to really just focus on, you know, working no more than like 45 hours a week. Um, once in a while, if you have a big presentation or come or something, then you flex your life to adapt to that and meet those needs. Well, but maybe the next week you take a little bit of that time back to reinvest in your family or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think for our family, that's, you know, probably more on my husband's behalf, but we've had to kind of change the mold of like what our family dynamic would look like. And so my husband certainly thought he would not be a stay-at-home dad with a newborn. Like that was not (laughs) his career plan at all. He worked at a great museum in Philadelphia at the time. Um, But when you're faced with the reality of uh, your kid is really sick and needs you, then that all changes. And then he went to grad school at the best school in the country for music and was going to fulfill his dream of being a full-time professor. Um, and then something happened right at the end of that, where my job was eliminated and I needed to be able to move to a new job, um, in California. And so right when he was at this, the point of being able to apply for some professorships, um, we realized we had to, um, you know, like be able to provide for our family. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up moving to California and now his job kind of looks, um, dynamic, right? He's a, an adjunct professor of voice. He's also a private teacher. And then he's the primary caregiver for our kids. And mm-hmm. at first that was really hard for him to accept. Like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want to do. I went to the best school. I want to, you know, have this acclaim and um, be able to be a professor or somewhere really prestigious. And so I think, you know, in the concept of ditching perfection, we had to realize that we had to be able to be flexible and do what was best for our family and in a way that honors God. And now I can say three years later, he's really accepted that in a way that where God's kind of, again, kind of put down, helped us put down that pride and say like, this is really an abundant life that we're living. And so I'm able to, you know, work full time, provide for my family as, you know, maybe the primary uh, provider and because I have that really strong support at home. And I don't think that would be possible without sacrificing some of those dreams or, and maybe that's not forever, but it's for a season to put those on my daughter's still at home and Mm -hmm. not in school full time. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. What a beautiful partnership. Yes, definitely. 
Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. And I love too, that you both, it takes both of you to be willing to lay down some expectations, whether they're expectations that you had, or even culturally, sometimes mm-hmm. our culture tells us certain ways that families need to be run. And I love that you two are doing what is best for your family following God's leading in your lives for your family specifically, and not caving to any particular expectation that, that may be surrounding you. I think that's yes. really beautiful. Yeah, definitely challenging to be the only dad at the park or something like that. Right. So, yeah. Um, but I'm really thankful that we have friends and family that respect that and appreciate that. And, yeah. you know, kids, you know, my friends drop their kids over for a play date and my husband yeah. does a great job. And anybody that sees him in action is like, wow, he's an amazing dad because he got that. that time to really bond and Mm-hmm. Um, be close to our kids from a young age. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Mike and I are, we kind of have an interesting schedule where he, he teaches at the university and he teaches three days a week. That's just how his schedule worked out, which was great. And then he's home two days a week. And then those are the days that I primarily do my wow. work. So he's very present dad. He's a dad at the park. Um, and it's so great too, to see, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure Chad has noticed this too, but how kids are just hungry for that positive male uh, figure in their life. Like when Mike's at the park, all these kids flock to him because he's like the present dad. And mm-hmm. so it's a really cool thing for me to observe how God is using him in these random kids that we run into at the park. And I'm sure it's the same with Chad. And so there's such beauty and purpose in how God uses us in every season, every phase even if it's maybe what we didn't expect, but it's beautiful. Yes, yes absolutely. I think our, our generation is slowly changing where there's more, yeah. it's more common to co-parent and to share that, those yeah. burdens and blessings together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so good. I'm sure that uh, Chad has tons to say about ditching perfection too. So that yeah. would be fun to hear from him sometime as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Okay. So you have so much on your plate, Ashley, but uh, you mentioned to me, you have some really fun hobbies. Okay. A, how do you have time for those? And B, tell everyone what you like to do and why those are like life-giving to you. Yes. So I think um, as I've gotten older, um, hobbies and like routine has just been so important to my overall like well-being. Yeah. And so I would say like my passion and creativity comes out outside of work through cooking and we love in our family, like coffee is number one. So that's yes. like the way we start our day. That's a part of our quiet time. It's very much part of waking up and being present with God. Um, and we always say we could give up anything else, but that's like one thing we really love. Um, <laughs> so we're passionate about making good coffee at home. We have had a counterculture coffee subscription for five years since we moved from Philadelphia. Um, It's made in like Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina area. And that's something we're really passionate about. And then we're a part of this cooking club um, from a, you know, food blogger that I have loved for a long time. She had a couple of cookbooks and I always liked her recipe on her blog. And really her focus was on like wholesome food made from scratch, tended to be more like vegetarian based. And then she had the great idea to provide for her family and create a cooking club where she would release like four recipes a week, three entrees and one, maybe it's a dessert or um, a breakfast item or something like that. And so that's been really fun for us. It took out 
my, you know, with my passion for food, I would spend like two hours, like planning meals for the week. And I'm like, as a working mom, I do not have time to spend two hours planning meals, even though I love it, but just didn't fit into our life. And so now these recipes come and then that's a way where we get to be like creative in the kitchen. Uh, My husband's become a much better cook. He's kind of my sous chef. Like he might prep something Mm -hmm. earlier in the day and then I can cook when I'm off work. Um, And we just love hosting people. So we host our weekly community group from church. We've done that for most of our marriage where we have people in our home, Mm -hmm. discuss the sermon from that week. um, It's application for our lives and then also praying for one another. And that's been just a true source of like meeting people that might be different than you. Um, But by having like very weekly or having meeting weekly just creates that consistency and love and friendship. So that would be an example of hosting. And then we just got a chance to buy our first house this summer. And even though we're in the San Francisco Bay area, we're like, we have to make it work where we can have a guest room because it's so important to us that we can host our family from out of town or this week, a friend from New York is coming to stay for a couple of weeks and we just always want to have a place for people to be a part of our family that mm-hmm. aren't maybe naturally part of our family. So hospitality is super important to me. Um, and then I just love being able to like move my body. Like, I think it's such a gift. You might think of it when you're younger as like, oh, I want to look a certain way or I'm trying to be fit or thin or whatever. And I think later in life, it's like, just as much as it is for your physical body, it's for your like emotional well-being and your mental well-being to go on a walk or a hike or bar three is like a, an online, you know, program that I've done for four to five years. And I still love it. it makes me feel like very connected to my body. And I, they always say like movement is a gift and it's absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Oh, I love yeah. all that. I am not good at cooking. Uh, but recently <laughs> speaking of like you know, inspiration. We signed up because my brother sent us a coupon code to one of those subscription box mm-hmm. plans. It's actually been awesome. We've learned all of these new little things that we would have never, ever thought to make. And it's been really fun. And I've always been a fan of cooking shows. Like I love yeah. watching cooking shows, but then I'm like horrible. In the kitchen. <laughs> Do you have any cooking shows that you like? So we don't have cable anymore, so I don't watch that often, but um, I always love the Great British Bake Off. Yes. things you can make, you know, for dinner, but I think it's been more um, like food bloggers that I follow. So Sprouted Kitchen is one of them. Smitten Kitchen is a very famous one from New York City. And basically anything they publish, we try to find a way to make it. So it's it's probably more like online inspiration and then cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Okay. I'll have to look at those. Yeah. Are they like rated from easy to hard? I would say both are in like the medium space. Okay. It's not like, it's not like for the beginner cook necessarily, but just like my husband, if you follow a recipe and just take the time to do it, the more you do it, the more experienced you are to know like when something's done, when it's right. And having a partner in the kitchen that will help you uh, wash dishes and things like that are important too. Yeah. That helps. So yeah, I think having young kids just easier than going out and yeah, I don't often prepare like multiple entree, you know, it's not like a side and an entree. It's usually one dish, but it meets all of our needs, which is great. Yeah. So what's been one of your favorite things you've made recently? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've been at my in-laws, so I haven't been cooking a ton, but we did yeah. one night and 
It was a sun-dried tomato spinach pasta bake, and that's a recipe from our cooking club. So I needed something that could scale up to be 13 people that are here. Mm, that sounds good. Okay, yeah. Ashley, you're inspiring me to do a little bit more cooking. I love it. <laughs> I'll look at the website too. Yeah. Like we take a break once a week. That's a way to just perfection is like every Friday we get takeout because the reality is you need a break and you can't always um, be spending two hours in the kitchen. So simple meals are awesome as well. That's good. That's good. So one of the things that we like to do on the podcast is celebrate ourselves because sometimes as perfectionists, we can always think of the things that we feel like we made mistakes on or that we wish we could have improved. But I think it's just such a great practice that God has really encouraged me to do to celebrate myself. So Ashley, how can you celebrate you in this phase of life? And I know sometimes it's kind of vulnerable to celebrate ourselves, but just go for it. Yeah. And this might be like more somber than you're thinking, but for me, um, I'm celebrating the fact that I decided to go back to counseling, um, months ago, like this summer sometimes. So we were in the middle of moving houses, which on top of work and everything else can be really stressful. And I was finding that I was in a place where I was just feeling too much pressure and, too much on my plate and like needed to go back to a space where I could say like, okay, when I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, what are those tools that I can go back to? And so, um, for the last several months, you know, at first it was weekly, but now kind of every other week I invest the time and the money to participate in counseling. And so first time I've actually done it over zoom, that's like Mm -hmm. a, a unique thing, but in some ways that gave me a gift because you're not like getting in the car, driving to an office. Mm-hmm. doing the session, driving home, then it's like a two hour thing where now um, in the summer when it's nice, I just sit on my back porch in an Adirondack chair and I have like wind chimes behind me and I just see the sunset. Yeah. And my counselor's always like, oh my gosh, it's just so idyllic out there. <laughs> um, but it's a place where I can be reminded of those tools. And she's really encouraged me to celebrate ways that God has like given me enough to care for things right so if it's like facing something that I'm fearful of um whether that's like traveling or being on my own with the kids because Chad's out of town or something like that that I kind of have like situational anxiety it's not all the time but it's like certain situation I have triggers of like times when I felt really overwhelmed or had an anxiety attack and um she's really encouraged me too like if I was able to go through something successfully, like you did it, like you were a part of that. It wasn't trying not to depend too much on my husband or someone else to get me through. But I think that's something I can celebrate, like in just taking that time out to say, this is important both for me and for my family in order to live the abundant life God wants me to live is, Mm -hmm. um, taking time to prioritize that. And and get to the healthiest version of myself that I could be. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. I am such a proponent of counseling. I go to counseling uh, and have for quite a long time. And I also am going on zoom now. Yeah, it is great. Like I, well, and my counselor lives far away. And so it's so nice that I have the opportunity to be able to connect with her. And then if I am running, having a crazy busy morning at home, I can just like throw on a sweatshirt and a baseball cap and like, just sit there, you know, I don't have to, like you said, spend all the time to prepare and leave the house and all that. It's actually really nice, but it is is such a gift. And I, 
I think, and I really do think that the stigma of counseling is starting to be lessened, which is so good because I don't think that going to counseling is a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of strength. And like you said, just to be the best whole, most whole version of ourselves for ourselves and for the people around us that we love, it's, it's such an important decision. So I, yeah, that is a great one. I celebrate that with you for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. And I really encourage people just that, um, like for me, having a Christian counselor is super important because Christ is so much a part of my life and my faith is so important to me. I think it'd be really difficult to kind of have like a clinical assessment of what was going on without the spiritual component. Right. So to me, like having that holistic view is super important. And then if, if needed, sometimes they can connect you with like a psychiatrist that can more, um, you know, focus on more of the medical components of what's happening in your body. But I just think that's super important and something that I found really rewarding. And I've, you know, it's, I've gone through seasons where I've been in counseling and not, and, um, I think it's great if I could do it financially and probably I should just say like, yes, I can, I'm going to prioritize it. It's something I do all the time. Cause like you said, I think everyone can benefit from it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's so good. So Ashley, is there anything else we, in regards to perfectionism and people pleasing that you had in mind to talk about that we haven't yet talked about? Um, let me think. Um, I think the only thing, you know, kind of a question I was thinking about was places where I think perfectionism can feel like it can serve you well, you know, and you asked about my career life and over the last couple of years, I've kind of learned about the Enneagram and I definitely fall in the place of being a a number one, which is a reformer. I like to call it. Yeah. I'm also a one. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the term perfectionist because I think reformer is more my heart where I like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a person that wants to make things better and make them efficient, make them effective for like all the people involved. And so I've always kind of naturally had leadership positions, either at my work or in school or my church, um, where I've been able to use those gifts really well. But I think you can Perfection can only serve you to a point because then it starts to unravel because reality are, is we are all human and we can't mm-hmm. achieve perfection in any area of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've seen that take me to places where, you know, I was striving too much in my physical health and struggled with anorexia as a teenager or as a young adult um, was undone when like relationships didn't work out. And Mm -hmm. I just think I've seen perfectionism take me to very dark places. And I think this concept of reforming is so much more healthy. You can be a healthy version of a one, then you get to use all those gifts God gave you to reform things and bring change to the world and make things better. Um, But not in a, a sense of striving, but more in a way of just like slowly seeing things change for the better. So I feel like I'm all about that. (laughs) That's so good. I think that's great. And I, I should start thinking more about myself in that way. Cause I do say, Oh, I'm a one I'm a perfectionist, but the reformer, I love that too, because I get excited about potential and excited about where, where we could go with something. Now, do I always feel brave enough to do it because I'm a little scared to take a risk? Uh, yeah, I get nervous, but Mm -hmm. I do get really excited about potential and possibility. So I think that's so good. And I love what you said too, that perfectionism 
can serve us to an extent, like the way that we're wired doesn't have to be this, like, oh, this is bad Mm -hmm. because really our, our love of goodness and wanting to, uh, help whether ourselves or other people be the best they can be like, Mm -hmm. that's actually a really great gift. So how have you in your life distinguished when it's actually a healthy, uh, desire for excellence to when maybe the scales tip to the unhealthy or there are there little mile markers or signposts that help you realize oh okay I'm slipping into the unhealthy side yeah I think it's like just um like all things being open-handed with them I think in counseling we a lot of times talk about acceptance like how do you accept if something doesn't quite go the way you were thinking or um maybe a funny thing that we've I've learned as I'm teaching my kids when something goes wrong or like some negative thing pops up or something unexpected happens that day, we now try to tell them like, surprise day, this person isn't coming or surprise day, Mm. um, the water, you know, the faucet on the sink burst and there's water like flooding everywhere. And I think if you're able to be open-handed with the outcome, you know, it's like, I'm going to work and do my best to accomplish this in the time and limitations that I have. And then I'm going to call it good and move on. And I think a lot of times in work, we even talk about that. Like, it's okay for things to be like an A minus or a B plus in the sense that we're going to give that the amount of time and effort that we have. And then we have to move on to the next thing. And like everything in our lives just can't be an A plus. So it's all about like balance across. I try to like kind of have a, a balance for myself for every day. And then you kind of balance that within the week. And mm-hmm. I think that's what helps me like, keep from perfectionism. Like if you do have one day where you couldn't exercise, that's okay. We're going to pick back up up tomorrow. And if it's six of seven days that week, that still looks like balance and Mm -hmm. instead of perfection. Yeah. That's really good. I like that balance rather than perfection. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay. So the last thing that we like to do is have a face palm moment, uh, where we talk about something funny or embarrassing that maybe has happened to you. It just helps all of us remember that we're not alone in not being perfect and it is okay just to stop and kind of laugh at ourselves. So do you have a funny story you could share with us? Yeah. Um, the one I thought of was maybe about my wedding day, which I had, you know, using the word perfect thought I like perfectly planned and planned every detail and thought of everything. Um, But I think God does have a sense of humor. And so my wedding was in October in Philadelphia and it was going to rain that day. And so like, okay, we're planning to have an outdoor wedding and decided to rain. And so I'd been to many, many weddings before and been a part of many weddings. um, But I don't think anyone thought to tell me like, maybe you shouldn't put on your wedding dress at home and then get in the car on a rainy day and drive to the venue. So the time I got to the venue, my wedding dress is like completely wrinkled just from like sitting and seatbelts and all those things. (laughs) And we, a friend had given us like a white umbrella saying like, Hey, you need it. She'd gotten married earlier that summer. And we're like, okay, yeah, thanks. And luckily we did have it there. And even though this like rainy day was not my plan and now this beautiful outdoor wedding would have to be moved inside, we got to take like these really epic romantic like beautiful pictures with this stunning white umbrella that turned out like so much better than we expected and Mm -hmm. then I'd say like the other thing that didn't quite go our way is we had to move the ceremony indoors and that was in the same place as our um dinner was going to be so we had Mm -hmm. this beautiful ceremony 
and left to go take pictures and kind of have like a appetizer hour. Mm -hmm. um, and when we went to go back inside, they had set up the, the dinner tables like in the wrong way. So our host table was supposed to be in the middle so we could be, um, you know, kind of have our full wedding party right in the middle of the action and mm -hmm. it was a different place. And I think that was another example, you know, maybe not something that I necessarily messed up, but it was like trying to remember that it's okay if it's not exactly how you planned it. And we still get to have one of the best days of our lives. Yeah. So much fun. And if those, you know, I think it's common for things not to go perfect on a wedding day, but um, there's many occasions in life like that. Like, how do you truly just be present and appreciate the things that are going well and the people that are there with you? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wedding stories. There's so many that don't always go the way we would have thought. I remember somebody said to me, okay, just know that there's going to be something that is not going to go according to plan. So just know that then that way yeah. you're not thrown off when it happens. And Candace, our friend Candace was yeah. our wedding coordinator and she's like so calm, cool, collected. Uh, like our little slideshow was supposed to start at the beginning before we all came in. Yep. And it didn't work. And I had no idea. She was so, such a pro. She didn't even tell me. So we just went in and then they ended up showing it afterwards. They got it fixed, but yeah, just stuff doesn't, doesn't always go according to plan and there can be beauty in it. And like, what a great reflection that you just had with your awesome pictures because of the rain. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So good. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for this conversation and opening your heart and sharing some of the pieces of your journey with us. If people that are listening are interested to connect with you after this, where could they potentially do that? Yeah, I'd say um, my name, full name, Ashley Ann with an E, Summers, S-O-M-E-R-S, -E um, at gmail.com or that's the same on Instagram. So Ashley Ann Summers. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much. It was great to chat with you and thanks for sharing your journey and how you're ditching perfection. Yeah. Great to see you, Carly. This is thank really exciting you. what you're doing and um, I'm definitely cheering you on from afar. Thank you. I am so grateful for all that Ashley shared with us. I was writing down key takeaways and had so many of them that I had to like simplify and pare down my list because I just had so many things that, that were impactful to me. And I know that, and just trust that this conversation was impactful for you. But as a way to summarize our conversation today, here are our key takeaways. Number one, you can use whatever gifts God has given you to share the love of Jesus. You don't have to be in vocational ministry to minister. Number two, God gives us the grace we need in each season. Number three, sometimes our ideals or expectations actually cause us to be less present for the people who are right in front of us. Number four, God may be reframing what success looks like in your life. Number five, what we've walked through gives us new empathy to walk with others. And number six, self-sufficiency robs our friends and family of the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our lives. Number seven, don't wait for a specific season to have balance. 
find balance now. Number eight, ditching perfection means being open to flexibility and doing what is best and healthy rather than clinging to expectations. Number nine, find time for life-giving hobbies. Number 10, find ways to ditch perfection through simple things like getting takeout on Fridays, which I loved. Number 11, once again, this has become a theme in many of our podcasts, but one way to ditch perfection and to walk in wholeness is to go to counseling. Number 12, perfectionism can be a gift when we tap into the heart to reform and to make things better. Number 13, being open-handed with outcomes gives us the freedom to pursue excellence without letting perfectionism take over. And number 14, I love this one so much. It's okay for things to be an A minus or a B plus. Everything in our lives can't be an A plus. Isn't that great? I just think that's so good. So freeing for the girl who cried, me. Uh, I cried over getting a B in uh, middle school geometry. It's okay to get a B, Carly. (laughs) It's okay. In geometry in middle school, but also in some areas of my life right now, it's okay. So with that, then here are our prayer prompts. In what areas are you obsessed with getting an A plus? Just think about that. Ask God to help you really understand and recognize where that is becoming too much of a focus for you. And then how is God inviting you to relax, sink into rest, and know that an A minus or a B plus is healthy and okay? So that's prayer prompt number one. And prayer prompt number two is how is God reframing what success looks like in your life? How is God reframing what success looks like in your life? Well, thank you again, my friends, for joining us on the Ditching Perfection podcast this week. Thank you again to my guest, Ashley Summers. Thank you to my husband, Mike, who does all of the editing, and to my brother, Chris Peck, who writes the music for the podcast. Well, I am so grateful for you all, and I look forward to connecting with you again next week on the Ditching Perfection podcast.